You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Long have we been promised next-generation technology, be it in PCs, consoles, or games. At the start of this year, people were quick to point out that we are, in fact, in the Back to the Future 2 timeline, nowhere near as technologically advanced as we'd hoped we'd be by this point. However, this has always been the case. Whether 1984 or 2001, we've never been able to attain realistically what a writer's imagination has been able to envision for us. Last week, we were introduced to a device which, for the first time, does not feel like a slight improvement over its predecessors, but rather an innovation. Microsoft debuted its Project HoloLens, and while folks kidded around about the minority report effects, many, a great deal, many of us, thought we were finally seeing the future. Now, we just discussed this a few weeks ago, and both you and Joe were fairly quick to say that you really don't have too much interest in the new VR technology as it stands now, of course, understanding that it will get better over time. When you saw this, however, I need to know what your immediate reaction was. I was blown away because this isn't virtual reality. I'm not wearing a 50-pound helmet and separating myself from the rest of the world. This is augmented reality. You know, it's just a little visor. Like, I'm not cut off from the entire rest of you know, civilization while I'm doing all this cool stuff. And from what we've seen of these demos, the technology's legit. This isn't just, you know, CGI overlays. This has been, from what I understand now, over seven years in the making. This is a, like, taking the connect and going leaps and bounds ahead of that and tricking your mind into believing that these things are are actually there these holographic images the like the, the the device that you're wearing does have a i like that it's the first ever to have an hpu in addition to a cpu and gpu and that's the holographic processing unit and then events out at the side so that you're not getting warm and whatever but yeah it's using that light to in, a, in different ways to trick your mind because that's how we see as as people it's something that they talked about in a really good um, write-up from, I wish I had the name handy, but I don't, but there's a tech write-up about it. Somebody who got to it was on wired. go see it and demo it and everything. And, uh, and they were saying, if I could magically turn the debugger off, we'd see photons bouncing through this world. Eventually they hit the back of your eye and through that you reason about what the world is. You essentially hallucinate the world and you see what your mind wants you to see. And that's what this device is doing by emitting those light photons and whatnot. It is so good, and this is what I found to be the most interesting, that clip where they show the Mars expedition, where they go and they see the rocks and whatnot, this writer was saying, too, that it's so real that she was having a problem walking because your mind can't correlate between what it sees because it looks so damn real and the reality that it knows is underneath that. But... That thing is so well done, and it was done in collaboration with a NASA rocket scientist, that NASA is going to be using these HoloLens for a future mission. That really speaks volumes about 
a device when it is that powerful and reliable that they can do that. I'm never going to make fun of the Kinect again. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you can you can see the the you know that the Kinect was a step to this technology, and somebody at Microsoft went, "Hey, wait a minute, can we sell just this part?" <laughs> and that did its own thing. But clearly, they've streamlined the technology, and uh, it's it's just it it's mind blowing. It is. It is. I. I've watched the video several times. I've watched a whole bunch of things about it and read up on it as well, too, because, again, it's it's one of the, th- the things that I've talked about quite a few times where I'm really tired about the term next-gen. I'm really tired about that yeah. being slapped on everything because I grew up in that time when, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, I experienced something radically different from others, but there, there, there are differences in generations where different things are experienced by everyone more so than in other generations. Like if you look back to the 60s, it was that space exploration was so bloody huge. And there were reasons for that because of the, the wars and the, the, the threat of wars and all kinds of different, different things like that. But I remember so vividly growing up that idea of that future tech kind of thing, that, that, that back to the future idea, that how important it was and how we would have that. And partially it was so prevalent as well, I believe, because there were so many leaps and bounds being made with technology. And that had not yet become the norm to the point that they had a law about it kind of thing. So that became something later on the future generations after that was like, well, that's just reality, old man. It's just, it's always getting better and things like that. But initially it just felt so much like we are progressing so goddamn fast. We are going to have these hoverboards. We're going to have flying cars. We're going to have all these things. And so when you grew up in that and you were, again, I knew a lot of people that were going to go into robotics or other kinds of scientific endeavors as careers to be able to progress. And then you realized as you were move on, soul crushingly <laughs> that that's <laughs> not the truth and so especially as someone who games as much as i do and as you do obviously the, the that slapping that next gen on everything when it is quite literally just a mild improvement on something that already exists just pisses me off i hate that i want that next truly next gen And we just haven't had that. There are so few things that I can point to and say, yeah, that really was for that time next gen. And so that's why when this now that this announcement came out and I was I was watching this, it was like, wow, this is it. This is the stuff that we've been waiting how long for now. And there have been some other videos that I've seen as well, ironically, from Microsoft as well. Some of the stuff that they work on, holy crap, I would love to work in their R&D department <laughs> if I was smarter. But, uh, but yeah, this feels like it. And that, that's, that imagination that I have just goes hog wild because you see some pretty rudimentary things that you would expect from these kind of things, people want to, you know, play a Minecraft game or the uh, watch TV and different things like that. But I'm thinking about all the insane possibilities of this device. And it's it's just boggles the mind. This truly is that next gen. And I, I, I keep thinking, too, that in terms of a, let alone 
the the how much fun you could have with it with different apps and different things that that being able to do plumbing and electrical work like they talked about in that oh my thing, god that's that that goes above and beyond the norm but just let's trip it down to just gaming the fun that you could have gaming and not just standalone yourself but with others be they in the same goddamn room as you or somewhere else because like you said it's an augmented reality you're then when you are playing a game, one of the hardest things that the developers have to do is allow you to immerse yourself fully in that world. This has a leg up on that because you are immersed. This is it. This is your world. But now it's got all this friggin' awesome added to it. I, I just, I can't wait. And the thing that made me the happiest about this, and I know I'm going on long here. I'll let you talk in a minute. <laughs> Go right ahead. The thing that's got me the most excited is the fact that they are so far in development and have been able to keep this quiet. This is not that far away. This is, I, I foresee us getting our hands on this before the freaking rift. <laughs> like, oh yeah, well, they're saying software developers are getting it in a couple months. I know. So to me, that's, that's got me so freaking happy, so unbelievably happy. And as long as it's not ridiculously priced, oh my god, I'm buying a couple so that we can <laughs> we can each play and have fun with these things. Yeah, the, the the possibilities are endless. Like one of the coolest little gaming experiences I've had in a long time was with uh, Bravely Default, a right. uh, role playing game on the 3DS. And the opening cinematic of the game actually utilizes the 3DS and the cameras where it tells you, like, okay, put your, put your uh, instruction booklet on a table and hold the camera up to the ferry on the back. And then once the camera scans the ferry, like, it actually comes out of yeah. the book and does this whole cinematic of one of the main characters running around your room and you've got to follow her around with the camera like, and it, all that was was obviously just a cinematic playing over top of the camera, but it was still fun and cool and something new. So this is several generations beyond that where it's actually going to be interactive. It, it, I, I'm very excited for the possibilities. One of the things that I thought was as close to what we have now, which is still, this is light years ahead of that, but... There was actually a Star Wars game that you could get on your iPhone for a while. And I don't know if it's still available. And what you would do is basically just look at the display. It was using the camera so that it was overlaying attacks from like either TIE fighters or whatever the hell they are, the, the, the bad ones. And you had to shoot them down. But they were overlaid over whatever it was you were looking at. So you saw these things if you were outside and like on top of a building, you'd see all of the buildings in the background and these freaking TIE fighters coming out of nowhere and you had to gun them down using your phone. And that was freaking awesome. <laughs> like again, <laughs> the kid in you that remembers what could have been is like saying, wow, this is it. That full immersion in our world of, of getting these additional augmented reality bits. And it was awesome. I mean, it's not freaking this awesome, but it was pretty goddamn cool. And this is like years ahead of that. This is unbelievable. And they were saying too, like this has a, a 120 by 120 degree depth of vision as well too. So it is quite literally, your hands can be outstretched almost as much as they can, and it'll catch it and be able to 
interact with your fingers depending on what you're doing. The manipulation that it was showing, again, whether or not that's, you know, enhanced for the sake of marketing, which I would tend to believe it is, but but then you read that review that the person wrote about it and it didn't quite feel like it. It felt like it was pretty genuine. When -hmm. you're looking at being able to manipulate whatever it is that you're looking at in a way that feels natural as well and still be interacting with everything that's around you. (laughs) My God, the picture again, the, these, they're making such a big deal with the, 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 the rift and the other one, the project Morpheus, where they're putting a sword in your hands and you're pretending like you are in old English times and, and clanking a wooden dummy. Here they can put something in your hands and you're in your living room <laughs> and somebody just broke in the window and, you know, you got to take them down. Could be any number of things, but it's going to be, again, I keep going back to that much more immersive because it is where we are. And the, the, the other thing that I would have liked to have seen more, we kind of saw it with the Minecraft thing where it kind of almost takes over an entire living space. I would like to see the extent of how far they can push that. Because, yes, being immersed in your world is awesome, fantastic. But what if it can pretty much take over everything as well and create overlay over the room, depending on the size, the walls, location of furniture, whatever, overlay something else based on whether it's old medieval times or a forest or whatever to allow you to have this little mission, this little game, whatever, in that space. God, that would be insane. I will tell you right now what will get me to buy one. The killer app for me. Dungeons and Dragons Spellbook app. So you could just flip through, tell it what you How want. How much of a mess was it yesterday going through that book? For you? But <laughs> if, yeah. You know, if you have the overlay and, you know, you could have your character sheet and like oh, yeah. that would be cool as hell. That would be awesome. You could see your dice rolls as well. Mm-hmm. And everything else, yeah, that would be insane. Actually, you could have the, the, the little possibilities map. are endless at this point. Yeah, have you can have that one for table. free, Microsoft. Other <laughs> way, you could have the idea for free if I can have one of these for free. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, that was to me one of the bigger announcements. Microsoft also talked about the new DirectX 12, which we're not going to get into much detail. Only to say that. That is actually important in terms of gaming. This is going to reduce a lot of stress on your system and going to be working a lot better. So that was actually fairly exciting, too. Some other news that we got last week, too, that was really exciting for a lot of people is that Elder Scrolls Online is going by to play. Now, a lot of people say, well, we knew and being assholes and pretending like they know everything. And it was, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall, certainly, but you you want to wish them the best. They are putting out a, a quality product regardless of what some people think of it there were issues with it but there's issues with any mmo that comes out the only reason i stopped playing elder scrolls online is because i was i started playing wildstar with my son exactly (laughs) and i was having fun with wildstar i still do have fun with wildstar i do like eso i like it a lot the problem is, is that we can only maintain so many memberships and when i say we i mean 
gamers, everybody. We can only maintain so many. And that was the one too many for me. So I had to let it go, especially because I was, again, playing with my son and I'd maintain his membership as well. So you're looking at 30 bucks for a game that you're not playing as much because you're playing something else. Forget it. It's got to go. But it is going to be going buy to play. So that means if you've already bought the original game, you're good to go. Don't worry about it. If not, you need to actually physically buy or digitally buy the game. And that's going to be uh, March 17th. So that's cool. They're changing the name to Tamriel Unlimited, which to me is kind of stupid. <laughs> bad name, but who the hell cares? All the content updates, including Champions and Justice, is included. They are going to offer an ESO Plus membership, which isn't surprising. Some people like paying for the extras. And this will allow you to access all the future DLC, um, which they're terming as optional adventure content like zones and quests. And so you'll be able to access these so long as your membership is active the moment it expires. You can't anymore. That said, any rewards or items you get from those zones that you get to keep. So it's kind of like a gated content that you can mm-hmm. only get into if you pay the extras. But everything else is still going to be there. And, and it sounds like the payment model is actually the free-to-play, the buy-to-play model is actually going to be very good and not all that limiting. Yeah, and it, it opens up the game uh, a lot more on the console market as well. We've seen subscription games really don't function too well in the console market. So, I mean... Theoretically, they've said that, yes, the console version of Elder Scrolls will finally be coming out. So being buy-to-play instead of a subscription base will give them a big leg up there, too. Yeah. And then also that ESO Plus is going to allow you to have um, different, and they call it character progression bonuses, some in-game currency that you can use to either customize, get a customization items like pets and mounts and different things like that. So, again, people who have the money to spare and like supporting them, you are going to get some nice little perks and bonuses of stuff that you'll be able to do. If you really like that world and doing things, exploring in that world, then it might be for you because it does open up different zones and quests. I would hope that they will be providing enough content to make those memberships worthwhile. Cause otherwise then you're spending money for something that really isn't. So we'll see. Yeah. The uh, we're not going to go into too much detail, but the order eighteen eighty six went gold. They put out a new trailer, and it was like I knew I wanted this game. <laughs> I know you don't care, but no, it's not that I don't care. I'm just <laughs> waiting. Like, especially what we've seen over the past year from big game releases. Like I got to have some supreme confidence to be into a game day one at this point, and. Is that the game looks cool? The story looks cool. I, I'm still not sold on the actual gameplay, though. I'm getting it. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> and um, Heroes of the Storm, Blizzard's game, mobile game, they did release a, a Founders Pack. Do you have any interest in playing that game at all? I played the alpha, and and it it was fun. You know it it definitely took out one of my biggest problems with you know the big mobas. And that you can finish a game in 15, 20 minutes tops yeah. instead of, you know, these 45 hour long marathons. So it was quick. It was fun. You know, it's characters I like. I mean, there's a few issues I have with the game that'll probably prevent me from like putting any amounts of money into it. But as far as just like a fun pick up and play game, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait. I'm actually in the I got into the alpha as well. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was super stoked and excited before and after. Ask me how many games I've played. None. 
Why? There's always something else to play that I would rather play. And I do like playing MOBAs, but I like them when they are simple, fast. I don't want to be sitting down for an hour and a half. Certainly mm-hmm. don't want to be sitting down for an hour and a half with jackasses. That's why I like yeah, and, playing. And that's the thing. Like, even though they made the game more streamlined, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not as punishing when you lose anymore. The community is still toxic as yeah, can be. And I hate that. I actually play MOBAs on my iPad. There's a couple of different ones that I like. They're actually a lot of fun. I don't have to put up with jackasses. I'm playing with them, but I'm not listening to them. I don't read what they're saying, whatever. I just play. And the touch on the iPad makes it so intuitive to move around and do your abilities and stuff like that. So, so yeah, so I don't think I'll be picking up this uh, this pack. I'll, I'll still play it once it comes out officially and get the characters and different things, but really no rush. The other important thing, and I'm watching it tick up still. <laughs> Literally, it just went up again. Shadow Run, Run Hong Kong hit its 700,000 mark, which was the big mark that they were aiming towards and it was literally before supper i checked and noticed that oh it's just over 700 it's at 702 and 360 it, it and it literally keeps ticking up every once in a while so they had to set some new goals for themselves they are actually also going to be giving them away some different things now with depending on which tier you backed especially if it's over 35 dollars you get different audio things for them but they put in a new <laughs> no messing around with like you know eight hundred thousand nine hundred no they just skipped to the million <laughs> screw you we're already doing enough work <laughs> so for if they hit the 100 or the million dollar mark they're looking at doing a four to five hour Shadows of Hong Kong mini campaign, which sounds awesome. Go ahead. That's the important thing. They're considering four to five hours a mini, mini campaign. campaign. Yeah. <laughs> How? Well, because uh, the, the you know the Dead Man Switch, the original uh, campaign for Shadow and Returns, wasn't that long. It was eight, maybe ten hours. So I, I'm, I'm wondering. How long the uh, full Hong? Because I, I haven't, I still haven't played uh, Dragonfall, so I don't know how long that one was. But how long are we looking at for a game of Hong Kong? <laughs> Four to I'm five hours. That. That's actually longer than most single-player campaigns in first-person shooters now. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. You'll also be impl- able to import your high com high karma Hong Kong character. I'm not going to lie to you. I have no idea what that means. And karma Joe's- is experience. Yeah, but Hong Kong character, which Hong Kong? Yeah, the, character? the character from the main campaign. You okay. can transfer it, transfer it into the side story. Oh, I see what you mean. That's what they mean. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then uh, free to backers at the fifteen reward level and above. Oh, that's that. But they were also talking about some uh, behind the scenes audio clips and things like that as well too. Which I, if, if they're talking about doing actual audio commentary. Like, you know, like we've seen on DVDs and stuff, because that's what uh, Valve did with Portal 2. They did audio commentary where you could play through the game and, you know, Gabe and the other developers would pop in and, you know, things would be on the screen for them pointing out. Like, it was like doing a a movie DVD commentary while you're playing the game. So if that's the style they're going with, that's going to be cool as hell. I'm very much looking forward to this. And you're still thinking about whether you should buy the tear with the bag or not I, I know i'm gonna end up getting you a bag you want to do it it's a really nice bag it is <laughs> i i i would but i just spent a small so fortune is there a on the limit on that <laughs> I, i'm just gonna get the 75 dollar one 
<laughs> just that's enough. They're getting my money and they should be happy. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the discussion for this week. And that, of course, was Paxos. So that just happened over the course of the weekend. And we got some news about several games. This was not nearly as in-depth. There weren't nearly as many developers as we see as some of the other PAXs. As I've said before, I feel that there are way too many PAXs, but there's obviously an audience for it. There's people who want to go to these things, so more power to them. It's not like dissemination of information is ever a bad thing. So let them go for it and have fun. And we did get some absolutely amazing news and we'll get to that in a minute. Now, there were a bunch of panels. Gearbox had a huge presence here. Apparently, they had a couple of different things that they were doing. Well, they're a local company, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but there wasn't a lot of actual news given from them either. They point blank. Well, kind of, they, they, they were obligated to show up, but they're not ready for a big show yet. <laughs> yeah, it was to the point where they were talking about the next Borderlands, and they were saying, we're ready to start development on Borderlands 3 or whatever the next Borderlands game would be because people have hit, been sending out rumors. Borderlands, about, the post-sequel. A, a, an MMO or something, yeah. But they point blank said they, they're not working on anything now, but they want to. And it was even a call to arms almost. <laughs> like if you are in the industry and you think you can help us, we want your help. It was a little needy, Randy. I'll, I'll tell you right up front. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they want people well, to be working on it. I'm looking at it more of they're willing to accept any idea for the next Borderlands game. You know, they don't want to pigeonhole themselves like, okay, we've already done three games exactly like this. We have to do another game exactly like this. They're willing to bring in other people who wouldn't, you know, typically be thinking of, you know, working on a Borderlands game. But if they have an interesting idea of something that they can do, like that, that's more how I look at it. Just kind of a statement that you don't know what you're going to get when Borderlands 3 comes out because right now we don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> and see, I thought that the most interesting interesting discussions revolving around the next Borderlands game were had outside of the actual panels and things like that on different sites than the actual panels. And that's where people were doing the kind of speculations of what could be and what might be interesting. And the one that of course caught my eye was a borderlands MMO because it, it is a first person shooter RPG still with RPG elements in it. It's almost halfway there anyway, in terms of having an established world, established lore, character progressions, you know, things that you can equip or whatever. Toss in just a few more elements and you've got yourself an, an MMO. Of course, you then have to increase the scope and all that, but you know what I mean. And I, I kind of started thinking about it because they, they talked about, too, the comparisons between them and, and Destiny. And there were mm -hmm. some jokes there that I thought were fairly funny. But, um, but having played enough Destiny now, too, and looking at what could have been with Destiny in the same kind of way. Because Destiny was supposed to be that MMO, you know, the first kind of... Yeah, I, I wouldn't classify it it's as not, an MMO. It's not, but it's it was supposed to be when they were talking about it initially kind of thing. They just didn't deliver on that for a good reason because it's fucking hard. There's yeah. a lot of work to do what they're suggesting. Look, look how much they put into just that. Yeah, so 
But with this here, we, we, we've seen so many companies previously overextend, yeah, and then just fall flat on their faces and put out a half-assed game because they run out of money. So yeah, put out what you got. And see, that's the thing with this too. Like as much as we would like to see a Borderlands MMO, we have to look at how much work would be involved. Not just that, how much money it would cost, and they can't do it solo. There's no way in hell. We'd also have to look at the IPs that they have fucked up. Which there's a couple. They've, they, they've, they've done a really, really bad job. They've done a fantastic job with Borderlands, although pre-sequel has not been as well received as the others, but still. The, 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 the fact is, is that they can really, really screw up an MMO as well. And there's no saying that they actually have the staff that has the experience to make this work. Look at the staff that was behind Wildstar. There were some people who know what they're doing there, and it still didn't do nearly as well as what you'd hope, and they worked their asses off on that. So, yes, I would love to see a Borderlands MMO, but do I think they actually can pull it off? I I don't know. I really don't know. You put the tag MMO on anything, and I'm hesitant these days. Everybody, what, a couple years ago, wanted to make an MMO, yeah. and how many of those have worked out? Yeah. Mm. There are a few that are still good, but they're list. still... Yeah, it's just that there's always problems somewhere along the way. It, it's just such a... It's such, it's such an expansive market to move into that if you do not do phenomenally well, like you're not even going to break even. Like it's, it, I'm, I would be happy if they delivered a Destiny-style game. You know, give us a oh, central yeah. hub. Give us a more seamless online experience. I'm in. Yeah. I, I don't need a full MMO. Yeah, I agree. That would be fantastic. Just make it so that it's easier to freaking group with people in a looking for group tool. Destiny, I'm looking at you. You suck because of that. <laughs> but if Borderlands could give us something awesome like that, man, that would be, I'd be playing every freaking day. They did announce there is the, uh, well, this was announced a little before, but uh, still very excited for it. And that's going to be the handsome collection that's going to be coming out for PS4 and Xbox One. That's going to include Borderlands 2 as well as the pre sequel plus the season pass for both of the games. So that's going to be coming out uh, soon, is it not? That's like, is that March? I believe as well. Soon. Yeah, yeah March. Yeah, it is in March. So that's going to be, yeah. I'm probably not playing anything in March. I definitely want that. That's going to be awesome. They talked about the next DLC that's coming out for the pre-sequel, and it's going to be the Lady Hammerlock pack, which is going to have Sir Hammerlock's older sister, Aurelia. And she's going to actually be a playable character. And they hinted for the fourth DLC, saying that it's going to be going into the mind of Claptrap. Oh, God. So there might be some fun to be had there. <laughs> so what I'm at imagining is Claptap's Robot Revolution mixed with, uh, what was the Tiny Tina one called? Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? So basically the two best things they've ever done <laughs> smashed together. <laughs> that would be freaking awesome. Uh, there was also talk about Homeworld Remastered Collection, which is coming out in February. I know you're not excited, frankly. I'm not either, but there are a number of people who are. It looks significantly better. There's going to be a beta multiplayer, so it looks like it might be fun to check out. Of course, I, I probably won't. The chatter I've heard around the game is that fans 
of the originals will be very pleased with this. Like Gearbox really did their work, like right. tracking down a number of the original developers yeah. to to get their input, like finding the original audio files from forever ago that you know some guy had in his basement on a cassette. Like they they they, they seem like uh, they did uh, their legwork on this one, and it's going to turn out all right. Yeah. Did you check out the Pillars of Eternity from uh, Obsidian Entertainment panel? Not the panel, but like I've been following the game. The panel was interesting. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched about three quarters of it. And these are the guys who did like Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment and Icewind Dale. This is very similar in feel, obviously. Modernized somewhat for tactical gameplay and whatnot, but even still, it really has that retro feel about it. But they put some cool things in it too, like you can do slow mode for gameplay during hectic battles and whatnot. Um, they had to put in big head mode. That was a Kickstarter goal reward. <laughs> but they demonstrated a whole bunch of other th- other things. That, that Again, if you like that type of game, this really looks like it's going to be good. What, what I liked about it was hearing the devs talk about it in terms of how it relates to their experiences with D&D and how they feel like they either themselves or they know people who have spent a lot of time on creating their characters, which we can attest to as per our, our, our session yesterday, an hour so, and a Somebody half. made it more difficult than it needed to be. I don't think so. I don't think that's fair. That's, that's not nice. And for people who are wondering, we are going to be, <laughs> I may as well say it now, it fits. <laughs> We're going to be doing some D&D stuff coming up at the end of this episode there's going to be a fantastic feature that vince recorded on the fifth edition for D. and so we decided that it might be fun to actually record the three of us doing a custom session that vince wrote up so he's going to be our dm and joe and i are going to be having hijinks and adventures so he offered to help me the complete and utter noob who's never done any of this stuff with character creation and we actually recorded it i am going to release it after i do some editing for it for anybody who wants to (laughs) listen (laughs) but uh i mean some people may find it somewhat dull but hey if you are a complete noob such as i and intimidated by the idea as well you may actually enjoy listening to this and seeing what the process is. So that's going to be later though. Like I said, I'm going to edit that and put that out. But next week we're actually going to have our first session, my first ever D and D session. And we're going to broadcast it live and then release it, of course. And uh, so and very next great. week is also going to be our last session. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to die that fast. You can't kill me off with rocks. I'm going to have a shovel. <laughs> um, I will be awesome. Anyway, but yeah, it was like an hour and a half. It's going to be shorter because I'm going to trim a lot of the fat that was in there. But it was an hour and a half creating my character. But my character is freaking awesome. Sir Reginald, the noble warlock. I can't wait. I'm already role-playing him in my head. As long as you come up with that backstory you have to come up with. I can do that. Anyways. Or I'll give you one. What they were saying was that they've seen so many people that spend a lot, uh, invest a lot of themselves into their characters only to discover as the character levels that they're actually useless because of abilities chosen and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what they wanted is to make sure that in this game, your character is always viable. It's never going to feel useless. There's different ways of doing a number of things, which is going to make it so that regardless of, 
not just your character's spec, but also the party that you choose, it's always going to be viable somehow. And I really, really like that a lot. And because one of them was also saying that they want to make sure that the, there's a lot of freedom in terms of how you experience that world and the choices that you make so that you don't feel like you're being forced down one specific path. That I, I love that. I cannot count how many times I had to restart Baldur's Gate because I just screwed up my characters. Right. So, so in that yeah, regard, it, 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 having the same feel but being more forgiving, yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. There was the Bard's Tale 4, which is coming mm-hmm. out on the 30th anniversary of the original. That was that's going to be another one that they're going to look into crowdfunding for money. I actually didn't find a ton of information. It was just like the announcement was made, and that's all I found. Did you actually find anything more on it? Well, pretty much the announcement is all there is. But okay. you, you know, you look at who's making it in Exile Studios, yeah. who is at, right now one for one in reviving old properties with Wasteland Two and. Uh, the new Torment game, uh, Tides of Numenera, I think it's called, is looking fantastic. So if, if they can keep that up, because I played the old Bard's Tale games. I hated the old Bard's Tale games, but not because they were bad. <laughs> Just because it was, it was an infuriating type of game with the puzzle solving. So uh, I, this is one that's definitely right up my alley. The Sid Meier Starships thing really hit on on a nerve for me for that, that love of space exploration kind of thing. Like I have purposely been avoiding uh star, star citizen because I know that if I get really hooked on it, I will be spending a small fortune because those <laughs> ships are bloody expensive. Yes, no, they are. They're very expensive. Um, and I just, I know I would, I would easily for a little while I was looking at them and I was like, a finger click away from dropping 250 on ship until I realized <laughs> I would be dropping $250 on a ship and went, no, no, I'm not doing that. It's too much. That's way too much. And so like, I know it's going to be different once it's out and you can buy with in-game money and all that. So it's, it's, it's different, but that's the type of game that I, I really love that again, that space exploration. And when we talked about it with no man's sky, which can't wait for that kind of thing. So this here with having the, it's like a follow-up to civilization beyond earth. And it is got those elements of going out in the, how you choose to, to play the, the, the systems that you, you, you use and whatnot will then benefit your, your fleet, your ship versus the civilization and, and things like that. And you can have still battles in space that are dynamic as well. And all these other things, it, it plus again the the RPG progression type of system that it is. I really, really am fairly excited for this game because mm-hmm. I loved Beyond Earth. Like a lot of people weren't terribly pleased with it because it wasn't as complex and by uh, association as rewarding as a lot of the other Civ games. But I don't like all that complexity per se. I, I'm perfectly happy to just have a more streamlined game that's in this awesome sci-fi setting. So them carrying that concept forward into bigger and better things, yeah, that's that's a Vince game. Did you see Magnetic Cage Closed? No, I missed that one. Think Portal, but it's basically inspired by the horror franchise The Cube. So okay. it's going to have that kind of feel to it. 
You've got a magnetic gun as well. Again, kind of like Portal. However, it's supposed to be more realistic in terms of how it works. So you're not shooting quite as far. More realistic than interdimensional portals? You don't say. Yeah. So not so much portals here as just using the gun to do different things. Right. So, yeah, you're a prisoner using the magnetic gun and doing different puzzles and different things like that. It's an obvious rip on Portal, but it still looks like it would be a lot of fun to it. Mm -hmm. Did you see Lightfall? I missed that one. Oh, Lightfall looks awesome. If you're watching the stream, I've got pictures that are rotating on the side there, and you're going to see a few of them that have a look very similar to Limbo. And... Okay, no, yeah, I did see that one. Yeah. So it's Sorry. got that, those... I just didn't associate the name. Bright, nice colors against the very, very dark shadows. It's a puzzle platformer. It's got some new elements tossed, tossed in as well so that, like, a double jump doesn't just double jump you. It actually creates a block underneath you. So you can literally jump infinitively just double jumping onto new blocks as you go. And then you could use the blocks to also like block lasers, open doors and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's introducing some cool gameplay mechanics for a a platformer, which is fun and for a puzzle platformer as well. But what's really interesting is that, and it might be all talk, who knows, but they're saying they really, really want this to be narratively driven the story is incredibly important to this and they're making the story was their main focus before they developed this platformer around it. That's awesome. And when you listen to what they were saying, the devs were saying too, is that like they feel that you can't create very deep, immersive, short games like that, that are very heavy in terms of their story, like limbo and braid and different things like that. As long as you're not, um, how did they word it? You're, as long as it's not hard on the gamer's wallets. So as long as they're not charging too much, they can create something that's short, but still have a very profound impact. And one that comes to mind is the rebirth of I, uh, the Binding of Isaac mm-hmm. that Joe just talked about last week. And you can have something that as long as you're not charging too much, it can still be short, but have that profound impact. And it sounds like that's what they want to do with this. So I'm like really super stoked for that. Yeah, like I kind of passed off Limbo at first just because like, oh, it's just another little artsy indie game platformer. You know, we've seen a thousand of these, but of course, then I finally played it. And the things it did with that art style, you can can barely call it an art style, (laughs) but you know how how they used it. The artwork itself was almost a gameplay mechanic, the way, you know, things could be hidden and whatnot. And... There was definitely a narrative there, despite the fact there was no, you know, there was no story presented. But you know, it's one of those games where you pay attention, and it was a very rewarding experience by the time you got to the end. Well, it's like Thomas I, was. I long. probably would not have played it if it was ten dollars more expensive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A couple of more, and then I'll let you go off on any that you want to. That you pretty much covered. Just I covered. Okay. Okay. My interest. The the other two are actually deck building physical games that I, I saw and uh, and kind of checked up on a little bit more. One of them is called Paperback. 
And it is, again, a deck-building game where you are creating words to finish novels. And the cards have the appearance of, like, resemble, like, uh, pulp, pulp magazines back in the day kind of thing. And I don't know if you saw the video for this, but it looked freaking awesome. It looked like a ton of fun. If you're the type of person who enjoys Scrabble or Boggle or any of those kind of words with friends kind of things... Man, this looked to be a lot of fun to the point where, like, my wife loves playing Scrabble, too, and we, we've played Boggle with the kids from the moment they were old enough to make words. This is the type of game that we would have a lot of fun with, I'm considering picking it up. Sounds cool. The other one, and this one was the one that had a lot more story to it that also looked awesome, a co-op deck building game, again, physical cards. And this one here is called the shadow over Westminster. And it was, there's the end of the world is approaching and only the quote unquote, the agency can stop it. And you're an agent of this agency. And so you have to investigate odd disturbances that are popping up and around uh, London. You have to research new abilities on how to use different mystic artifacts and the what happens is that there's a random cataclysm that's chosen at the start of the game and plays face down until the agents have done enough to uncover what the threat is by their investigative means and whatnot. And then once they have, then the card is flipped over, but that's only half the battle. Now you know what the problem is. You still have to fight this evil back. And there's different things that they're doing with this that are going to improve the 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 tactics, the strategy behind your gameplay, because like, uh, as an example, the, the, the card backs are actually have some information on them so that this will help in your decision as you're playing the game, because you know, some of what's coming up and like you can play as either a, they call it either a media savvy shadow, the noble knight Templar, the mysterious watcher or an enigmatic outsider. And if you go to their site, they got like back lower on each of these playable characters that you can play as it really sounds like a ton of fun again if you are near a bunch of people who like playing tabletop games or whatever this sounded like a ton of fun and there's like over a dozen of the cataclysms that are going to be shipped with it so i believe shipped with it so there's a lot of different possibilities on how to play the game so you get the replayability yeah like i love the these types of games stuff like uh contagion or uh I wasn't called Call of Cthulhu, but it was something similar to that. Call of Cthulhu is a different game. But, you know, the, where you have to work together and the, just the endless permutations of the things coming up against you, the, the different characters you can play as. It's such a great concept, and it pisses me off that I don't know anybody else that's interested in that. Oh, yeah. Which, I, which means somebody on Steam needs to get it, get get one of these types of games rolling <laughs> because like, I just love it from a design standpoint, and that one sounds cool. It sounds like... Taking all that, mixing in the secret world and Hellgate London and just going nuts. What somebody has to do on Steam is do something that we've seen similar with that Roll20 for D&D games. But create an engine wherein it can use, whether it's the camera or do different things, plus incorporate different in-game UI elements to allow you to play a variety of these types of games with other people. So that you basically just... Whatever the game is, take it out. You each play from your side and then play together. That's what somebody needs to do because then you would be able to also then support these guys who are developing these awesome games. That's the one thing I like about PAX because the guys do have their card game that they're working on as well too. They've always been very open to these things. So I was happy when I was checking the site and saw 
all of these, not just indie developers, but the card games as well and different things like that because, well, there's no secret how much I love freaking cards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, biggest news from PAX, without a doubt, and they'd been hinting at this, there were rumors beforehand and all that, was Heart of Thorns, the Guild Wars 2 expansion that's going to be coming out. Did you actually watch the Twitch announcement? No, I was, I think it was at, I was, I wasn't home. I forget what I was doing. Okay. I didn't even know there was going to be one because I was figuring, I I knew we were going to be covering it today, but I figured I'm just going to watch videos and I'll get all the notes from the sites as it's coming out and all that. So I'm not going to worry about having to be there for each of the Twitch streams. Uh, Also because there wasn't really that much that was like, Oh, I got to see that. Although Mm -hmm. the Guild Wars, that was interesting, but I happened to see it on Twitter when they were starting and saying, come and see it. And I, I was up, I was getting my breakfast already. I said, sure. So I started it up and then it's like the freaking announcement for the expansion. It was, and it was beginning to end win. Awesome. Like, it was unbelievable how freaking amazing a an announcement it was for an expansion. I started thinking back to various expansion announcements that have been made over the years and the impact that they made, not just for myself, but in terms of the gamer base as well. And this was among the best I've seen in a long time. This was just insane all of the things that they were talking about were great all of the things that they were um the the few things that they they actually gave specifics on you're going like oh my god it just was beginning to end incredible and then when they talk to people afterwards some of the people that have various sites and and uh, and, uh, video logs and, and whatnot like everybody was just blown away by this could not get get over how excited they are for this to come out and to the point where there was that sharp increase on Twitter, not just that they were trending, but Twitter for whoever you're following, all of a sudden everybody's reinstalling the game and making new characters after this. Cause it's like, I have to get back in this game. That's how awesome this is. I've never been this excited for an expansion since maybe Lord of Destruction for Diablo 2. Like, it's been a while. Like, yeah, there's been some cool expansions. Like, yeah, sure, I'll get it. This is, this has me hyped. This is, I, for anybody who's new to the podcast, going back way to the start of the podcast, I've talked about Guild Wars quite a bit here and there. And you were the only one talking about Guild Wars. And I'm not talking Guild Wars 2. I'm talking Guild Wars. When Guild Wars 1 came out, I played the crap out of that game. Multiple characters. I played it a lot, too, and I loved it so much. I had the expansions. I played those as well, too. And again, I loved that game. Now, WoW was out around the same time as well, too. So it was one of those, you know, you've only got so much time in a day. So I was spending a lot of time in WoW as well. But I was still playing Guild Wars a lot because it was just such a wonderful experience beginning to end in every conceivable way. And the community was the best community that I'd ever been a part of and that's another thing that they talked about for this where they were saying how 
the Guild Wars 2 community has been voted the best community by a great many sites. And so I've talked about it a lot. And when 2 came out, of course, I was playing and I played for quite a while as well. But as with all other things, there's other games that come out and we were playing those. And when you do a podcast like this, not one that's devoted to a specific game, it's almost where, like, we also, we have to play other games as well. It's not like we're forcing ourselves. Like, you want to play the other games. But if, I know that if we have a choice sometimes, it's like, okay, well, I can't just go do the same stuff in WoW that I'd like to just relax and do. I'm, I need to play this other game so that I can speak like I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> about it, and be able to talk about the experience of playing the game. And so I stop playing Guild Wars 2. All that just to say, because of the manner in which Guild Wars 2 works with the Living World episodes, I've missed out on so much. Yeah. And it, I'm real disappointed now. <laughs> it bothers me to no end. I've done the same content in WoW over and over and over again because... Often it's you're doing it with friends or I play with my son as well. And so there is still fun. You know, it's you go in Destiny and you shoot the same creature that for the, you know, hundredth time or shoot in a freaking tunnel, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But you do it just because it's relaxing. You just do something. You don't think about it. Well, WoW is often like that too. But I think I've missed so much. And the thing with Guild Wars 2 is that shit is gone now. Mm-hmm. You go to Lion's Arch... What Lion's Arch? Exactly. Like, it, I, I have a friend who still plays regularly, and he's been keeping me updated on the stuff going on. I was like, that's so awesome. I need to get in and play it. And he's been telling me about this stuff for two years now. I've done some of it. So I'm not completely lost. I've done some of it. But it has been so sporadic that I've missed out on so much. And it, like I said, it bothers me to no end that that's gone. That experience is gone, and I can't have it now. And it's like, damn it. I've, again, they've had 40 Living World episodes so far. The world is changed. You can't go back to the way that it was before. You start a new character, the world as it is now is what it was. And this is what we wanted, and yet we've I haven't played We've been asking it. for this forever. We finally got it, and we fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I'm not making that mistake again now. <laughs> I'm making my characters. I've got, uh, I'm going to make a new one, and... Uh, and I'm going to be playing, getting back in, re- remembering everything because I've forgotten some of the mechanics, some of the different things. And screw that shit. I am not. I'm. I'm taking part in this now because I'm not going to be. You know, by the time they get to 80 episodes, go. God damn it! I thought I'd learned my lesson at 40, but apparently not. No, no, I'm playing. So yeah. some of the stuff that we found out here, and they're they they did give a lot of information. Of course, they also said that there's still. A lot more to be coming out. The game will actually be playable, the expansion playable at PAX East, which is coming out in uh, March, March 6th. So that's not long. That's like six weeks. It's going to be playable. So that's freaking awesome. This is taking you into the heart of the Maguma jungle. And this is going to be cool because you're going to be playing like amongst the roots underground on the main level, as well as in the canopy. 
there's going to be a lot of different mechanics used. So in terms of your zone, your zone is going to be a lot more three-dimensional than your typical zone where it's just, you know, you travel east for however long to get to the next zone or whatever. No, this one might be underground or going higher. And I really dug that. That's a, it's a, an interesting com- concept. I'm just, I'm curious what the maps are going to look like and how the, how it's actually going to work out, but it's actually fairly cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting from a design standpoint, because it allows them to do a lot yeah. with a limited area. Yeah. Now, the other thing too, is that they were saying how they don't want people to feel like they have to grind for more. They, they were really using the key phrase a lot that it's the game is about the journey, which I mean, they've said that all along. So they don't want to introduce a higher level cap mm-hmm. and they also don't want to make it so that your gear is useless. So that's a big one as well. And that's something that if someone has never really played Guild Wars all that much and played WoW, they might think, oh, I know what a gear grind is. I play WoW. I got to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> I've done them both as well. Guild Wars is different for a gear grind because it is actually more work. It's an insane amount of work, especially if you're doing the crafting and you're going for the precursors or whatever, or if you're trying to make specific outfits for their look and whatnot. I mean, it took me forever to get the costume that I wanted for my warrior that I had in the original Guild Wars. And once I had, it was like, I better not have to replace this next expansion. (laughs) They realize how important that is, the gear to people. So you're not going to have to. So what they're doing is they're introducing masteries because you have to have something different that you're... needs to be a carrot. Yeah. So this is their end game progression. And what I like is that it's account bound. So once again, they're not forcing you to do the same shit. Blizzard, Garrisons, I'm looking at you. So you have, you're just getting your masteries up and then you can put points into different things in the masteries so that you can increase, like they they showed off the gliders. That was a big one. When you see the three of them running with the dragon on their tail and they jump off the cliff and you're like, well, you guys are toast. That's it. You got, oh my God. <laughs> and they fly up and you're going, that was epic. So they're going to have not flying mounts, but you'll be able to glide. And as you put more points into it, you can glide more effectively using gusts of wind and make it to points that you otherwise could not. That's kind of freaking awesome. You can put points into languages so that you have additional lore bits throughout. And that is, makes me salivate. You can put (laughs) points into skills and abilities, for your combat, because you are going to have to improve your combat to be able to fight some of these creatures in the jungle. And some of these creatures in the jungle that we saw, I was like, wow, that looks insane. And because of the mechanics that Guild Wars uses for group combat and on the flying group combat kind of thing, I can see this being so much fun when you're just out and exploring and you see one of these badass creatures and there's like 10 other people trying to down it and you just join in the fun. I'm just so freaking excited. Gimme. And then they talked about professionals. Yeah. <laughs> you, how did you do a lot of professions when you were playing? I tried. Okay. <laughs> like I dabbled in everything. So did I. 
but I'm not the crafting guy that you are. So that's yeah. It, it, it's a fantastic system that's just so time consuming. Yeah. So I like I said, I did some, but not nearly enough. But I never do a ton of crafting in games because I'd rather be out killing shit. So I, I used to do a ton of crafting when I had a ton of time for yeah. the crafting. They are going to be doing new specializations for crafting. They're introducing quests for the precursors and stuff like that. Brand new legendaries. It They're really improving on it. So that's going to be kind of cool as well. They're doing new guild progression stuff, which again, sounds great. They're doing guild halls finally, which the crowd went batshit crazy when that was announced. And I'm very curious what that's going to be like. I need to find a really good guild. <laughs> <laughs> so because we had our little one that we were in just as friends and stuff like that but right. I, we, we need an actual guild <laughs> we need resources that would be awesome um, what else there was they had to talk about PvP because regardless of if you PvP or not Guild Wars has always been a massive PvP game as well you can just PvE but the PvP element has always been very very important to ArenaNet and I actually really enjoy the PvP in Guild Wars 2. It's a lot of fun, but I don't do it all that much. But, like, my son does it a lot more than I do and loves it. It's so, cool, but, yeah, it's PvP. I, I'd rather just go chop down trees or something. <laughs> so, yeah, they're doing... It's a, safer out there. New Stronghold. They're also doing Guild versus Guild, which, again... Finally! Crowd went batshit crazy on that. Um, Colin Johansson, who's the game director, stepped up and he was talking about some of the major features as well, too. And he, again, talks some more about the, the masteries. But what was, of course, one of the most interesting things that he talked about was the second specializations. So as an example he used, rangers are very much attuned to the forest and the, the, the animals and different things like that. Jungles of Maguma are going to have a very strong druidic influence as well. Your ranger can actually specialize and become a druid, can equip a staff and have an additional healing spell and different abilities that will be for a druid now. (laughs) Are you okay, Roger? It touched me in a happy place that I cannot begin to describe. (laughs) It was your happy places when he. I I have several. (laughs) It was when when I saw that it was like my jaw literally. It's one of those where your jaw drops a little and you're like, "Oh my god, oh my god," because of course, turning it back to WoW, one of my favorite classes throughout all of the years of WoW has been a druid. I like playing them and everything. I do also really like playing Hunter. I like having the pets and all of that, things like that. When Guild Wars 2 came out, the first character I made, I made was a ranger. And that was right around the time, too, when uh, when we were working on IDTV as well. I'd done the video showing all of those um, pets that I tamed and everything like that on the rager. So the idea of being able to incorporate both of them, like when you see the video and the ranger is there with his pet and he uses his staff and all of a sudden there's like all the roots going and everything to it and the wolf runs off. I'm going, oh my God, that is so awesome. And then the necro with a great sword. (laughs) That's not right. It's going to be. They're introducing a lot of these other things again for people who are... Basically a death knight at that point. Yeah. Oh, 
People, again, if you've never played Guild Wars 2, your spells are, your skills, ability spells are very different with the profession, quote-unquote, class that you choose than with other games. Again, if you're very familiar with WoW, this is a, a, not a concept that you would necessarily grasp right away. And so it's based on whatever whip, weapon you equip. That determines what abilities you can use based on the profession. So like a, a thief can equip a pistol as can a, a warrior, say, but they're going to have different abilities. But if the thief equips a dagger, they're going to have different abilities at their disposal than they would if they had the, the, the gun. So there were limitations on who can equip what, which then limits what abilities you can have. So by allowing your, like in this case here, ranger to equip a staff or your necro to equip a greatsword, that means they're going to have awesome new abilities. And it is a significant change to gameplay, significant change to gameplay. And that's what makes people so happy. Because now you're going to have your favorite character is going to be able to play as if it was, say, a warrior or as if it was a full-blown healer or whatever, just by equipping that weapon. It's, it's huge, huge, and it makes a huge difference in how you play the game. So that's, that's got people like there was an engineer with a, a freaking two-handed hammer that had like freaking fire coming out of the top. And I'm going like, <gasps> with the little flying helicopters beside him and i'm going oh oh, 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 oh. yeah i never wanted to play an engineer before i have one and i like her yeah (laughs) i like playing her but not as much as some of the other classes and then i saw that i'm going oh i have to level one now whether it's that little one or i make a new one i have to just so that i can get to that point and the big news as well is there is going to be a new profession the revenant now this was awesome for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being because they, they kind of hinted around, well, we've got three cloth classes, three uh, leather kind of wearing medium class armor, but only two heavy. And so this is going to be a heavy armor wearing class. And it's based off of lore in the game. Ritlock's been lost in the mist now for a while. He's going to be returning from the mist able to control and channel the mist and others who have passed away. So they were saying like the King Jalus and this demon, and he's going to get new abilities based on which one of these he channels. So that class is going to be so just entwined with not just lore as it's going forward, but also from the past as well. It was like, Oh my God, this is, for us, this is like a dream come true, this class. At least it was for me when I saw it and read about it. It was like, oh, God, I if I don't have a free slot at that point, I'll be buying another one for sure because I <laughs> must play this class. It just looks so friggin' cool. Like, my God. Like, the, the, the blind swordsman, like Zatoichi <laughs> with friggin' yeah. spirit dragons. Yeah, bring it. So so that was pretty much it. Unless you, there was anything that I missed there. I think you covered just about everything. Yeah. It was, again, 
for that reason alone, PAX was worth it in my opinion. <laughs> Not that the others wasn't. The rest of it was a bunch of really good stuff and some really good games that we're excited about. But this was the reason to attend PAX or to, to watch it on Twitch. This was, it was in every conceivable way an improvement but not just that but a reason to play and that's the big one because an improvement isn't always a reason to play it might be oh yeah that looks like it'd be fun or i'm glad they fixed that or whatever but this is just a reason to play i've again i've just got a new system and guild wars 2 was one of the first things to get installed at 28 fucking gigs <laughs> took a while but it's all on there and I've been testing it out and messing around and I will be playing a lot more and it's it's still a fun fun game to play and it is only going to be getting better see and it's funny when you look at it because people are like oh my god it's been so long since Guild War 2's Guild you know what I mean came out <laughs> and it's just now getting its first expansion the first Guild Wars had this many expansions by now and I'm like you're upset that you're getting high quality content less often like the company's doing well they don't have to release these constant expansions for a cash flow they're they're maintaining themselves just fine right as it is so they're taking their time and release something amazing with it well the, the, the also the argument doesn't hold water because the game has been pointing out living world episodes mm-hmm. 40 of them they have done more to enhance change their world their game than any game in the the same time period than many others that i can think of i mean i would say that most of them combined so you can't fault them and say oh it's been too long you should have had an expansion no they've put out several expansions worth as part of this content that you're playing now so Mm -hmm. shut the fuck up (laughs) that's what i i I agree (laughs) on that happy note we're going to call it a wrap for tonight thanks for joining us live in the audience make sure to join us next week live at forthelore.com slash live we are going to be having our 200th episode of comic book informer podcast vince and i are going to be recording that tomorrow it's going to be a great episode we're going to have a very good interview with jim zub as well on there we love his work so much i would strongly recommend you pop by comic book informer and have a listen to that one and as well any backish episodes you'd like to as well but yeah we're gonna be you almost got it right back issues i almost did that's your thing not mine so you can find us on twitter at for the lore or individually myself zen buddhist Vince is Simodian and our missing Joe is LoaderZJ and make sure to check us out on Steam or Stitcher <laughs> I'll get rid of the pause no I can't because I said something about it but I did get it right <laughs> leave us comments let us know what you think and there's going to be a fantastic feature coming up so do not stop the episode keep listening it is the D&D feature from Vince as I said next week we are actually going to be doing our first D&D episode which should be interesting (laughs) we'll see how it goes but it should be a lot of fun and i will also be releasing as a companion to that the character creation episode so with that thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next week
On For the Lore, we've typically focused our attention on video games, but we're going to start taking a look outside the box for other examples of story-driven games. In the coming weeks and months, we'll be dedicating episodes to our own campaign within the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. While I've always had an interest in tabletop RPGs, my actual participation in them is fairly recent. Growing up, I had friends who were into D&D. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd edition was still the go-to game at the time, though Shadowrun was also popular. But my school was county-wide instead of restricted to a local district, which meant those friends weren't exactly nearby. Still, I enjoyed listening to their stories and looking through the associated books. I missed 3rd edition entirely because I just wasn't that interested in tabletop gaming at the time. I had other priorities in my life. So when 4th edition was coming out, it caught my interest. Unfortunately, what I found did not excite me. It was a game focused almost entirely on rules and mechanics. Characters were a collection of statistics and abilities, but largely lacking in the character department. It simply wasn't what I was looking for. Additionally, all the feedback I heard was negative, so I walked away. In retrospect, 4th edition wasn't a bad game, I just think it was a bad Dungeons & Dragons game. Over the last few years, tabletop games have evolved to no longer require an actual table, thanks to applications like Roll20. Combined with YouTube and Twitch, tabletop games are having a resurgence in popularity. It's easier than ever to find a game you like and people to play with. I started learning about new systems, games like Pathfinder, Dark Heresy, and Dungeon World. I eventually met up with a group of local gamers who used the Palladium system, which is complex mechanically, but its multiverse allows for endless character and story possibilities. Which all brings me back to D&D, specifically 5th edition, why I love it, and why I chose it for our campaign. What Wizards of the Coast has done, in my opinion, is create a fantastic balance between gameplay mechanics and role-playing. Many of those mechanics have been streamlined, allowing characters to quickly and easily do what they want, find out the result, and move on with the adventure. Combat is fast-paced, yet still rewarding. All this leaves more game time for actual role-playing, which is where 5th edition really shines over previous iterations. For me, the biggest change is the addition of character backgrounds. Before, players would just come up with their own backstories and run with it however they want, but now the game introduces an actual mechanic to support it. As part of character creations, players pick a specific background for their character. They're broad definitions, so players still have plenty of room to develop their own backstories within the system. These backgrounds give characters extra skills, helping define what they're good at, but more importantly, they define a specific set of personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws specific to your chosen background. Players can choose themselves or roll randomly if they want, but it all ties into 5th edition's next big mechanical addition, Inspiration. If the player is playing in-character and acting accordingly to their personality traits, the Dungeon Master can choose to grant them Inspiration. This inspiration can be cashed in later to give the character advantage on a combat or ability roll, allowing them to roll two dice instead of one and keep the better result. This sets a significant tone for how 5th edition works. The better you are at role-playing your character, the better your character can perform in the game world. For example, in previous editions, no matter how good of a lie your character tells the king, if they're not trained in the deception skill, odds are they're still going to get thrown into the dungeon. Under the new rules, if your character tells a particularly convincing lie, there is now a system in place that gives them a better chance to succeed based solely on role-playing. This is huge and is the primary reason I've fallen in love with 5th edition. 
Dungeons & Dragons was built on the legacy of old tabletop war games, so that's how the system used to work. It was a set of rules for a fantasy-based small-scale war game with the option to roleplay. In fact, calling the new version 5th edition is somewhat inaccurate. Wizards of the Coast has designed what they feel to be the new, definitive edition of the game, calling it simply Dungeons & Dragons. No edition. This isn't just an iteration of what's come before. It's familiar, but still something completely new for the franchise. It's an actual role-playing game, with rules written into the system that support that playstyle. And I couldn't be happier. We have an outtake of that once. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't stop laughing and it just kept looping the laughing over <laughs> But then this would have said constantly they've got too many goddamn paxes. Mm-hmm. Like six weeks they're doing paxes. Six weeks. That's not that's that's ridiculous. Why not just make it a traveling circus? Take it across the country. And just get a couple of little minivan things, put everybody in there. <laughs> And I'm sure you haven't spent any time at all. Just let me see how this looks on the monitor. You know what? Let me see how this looks on the monitor. Surprisingly not that much. And that's not me trying to pretend I'm being a good boy. Surprisingly not that much. I did some... um, And it's mainly because I didn't hook up my my actual Razer mouse to the the new system. It's still on the old one. And I don't feel like I'm plugging and bringing a mouse with me whenever. And, uh, And the mouse that you get by default with the... The thing doesn't have a scroll wheel or a button, which makes it very hard for it's barbarians. Freaking is, and it's also because it's in the other room and it's not comfortable. I'm sitting in a kitchen chair working on it, and it's hard on the ass. <laughs> it was very <laughs> uncomfortable for prolonged periods of time. Still trying to resist the urge of that bag. Oh yeah, I won't. <laughs> but I, I won't do it just because I've spent enough money lately. Check my bank account today. I was like, oh, that's more money than I was expecting to still have in there. Hmm. I still got three weeks to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's not I, like they need my money. Yeah, at this point, no. You get loot crate in Finland? Holy crap. Probably cheaper than what God, I would what is the pay. shipping on that thing? Oh, God. Americans are paying 15 bucks. Uh, it comes to a little under 20 with shipping. You poor bastards. Long have we been promised next to... See, I can't even get through the first goddamn... Jesus. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.